Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you find a career you love, start a business, and generally crush it at life. I'm Justin Gordon, your host and an MBA student in the class of 2020 at the USC Marshall School of Business. I've had my hand in entrepreneurship and business since 2012 when I launched Just Go Fitness and now with Just Go Grind. In this episode, I talk with Rob O'Reilly, who is a stamp comedian turned business school student at the USC Marshall School of Business. Over his career, Rob has written jokes for Jimmy Fallon, in the writing room and writing jokes for MTV's Ridiculousness with Rob Dyrdek. He was named one of LA Weekly's 10 comedy acts to watch a few years back. And we go through so many different things of what it takes to succeed in comedy and how he got his start and ultimately moved to Los Angeles to do comedy full-time and then switched completely into the business world and why he did that as well. Talk about a lot of different things in this episode. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the show, Rob. What's up, Justin? <laughs> what is up, man? I have to admit, uh, during the research for this episode, I found myself repeatedly watching YouTube videos of yours and just getting completely sidetracked like the entire time. I was like, that's research. That's research. That's it's, it's valid because it's research, I guess, but that was an entertaining part of the research <laughs> process, more so than anyone I've had on so far. Um, it was one of those things where like, yeah, one video and then, oh, yeah, YouTube, I'll watch the next one <laughs> and the next one. And then it's like 20 minutes later, I'm like, shit, I don't have any questions for Rob. <laughs> but that's how I started. I'm glad you like them. Yeah. Well, I'm assuming you like them if you. No, they are horrible, actually. <laughs> You're like, I couldn't avoid it. It was it's a like car, car accident. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But I want to start with where did you even start with comedy? In terms of like, when, when was it first in your head that you wanted to get into it? And then what did you do first? You're like, oh, I'm going to get into comedy. I'm just going to start telling jokes to my friends. Like, <laughs> where did that start for you? So I was kind of like a class clown as a kid. In fact, in, uh, in sixth grade, I there was a talent show for the middle school and I auditioned as a magician but my whole my whole gag was that it was really I was a comedian because it was that I was a magician whose tricks didn't work and I was you know I had a whole routine it was actually very funny and, I, and when I auditioned it everybody was laughing at it and then uh, afterwards the person in charge whose name was Mrs. Tupa said um yeah stupid <laughs> she goes uh she goes oh um you're really more of a comedian and comedy's not a talent so we're not going to have oh. that. Uh, so she set me back. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great start for you. Or something. Um, but yeah, that was a rough start. But then in high school, I had a supportive teacher named Mrs. Rule, actually. Her name is Gay, Gay Rule, which is a great name. That Especially at that, that age, yeah. I'm sure um, that was great. And uh, she was like, yeah, you should do something for the talent show. Uh, this was my junior year of high school. And... Uh, uh, I was like, yeah, so I like tried to, or I'm sorry, no, this is my sophomore year, she told me I should audition, and I like tried to put some jokes together, but I, like there wasn't enough time, it was only like a week or something to go, and um, so then I decided, though, okay, so, if, you know, this time next year, I'm going to be ready, so like for that year, I started keeping a journal of all my, like the funny things I said in class or whatever, and um, like a week before the talent show, my junior year, I, I, um, with my, the help of my, my uncle, I kind of like narrowed it down to what was actually funny <laughs> and, uh, and wrote an act. And then I like, I practiced it on my friends, like three friends in my basement the day before the talent show. And like, nobody laughed at anything. And I was like, Oh God, this is this a rough is start. Yeah. It was like, this is not going to work. Like I lost all my confidence. And then, um, <laughs> 
and and I remember I had this whole through line that like there's certain names that only old people have, you know, and then every <laughs> joke had had a callback to a joke that never worked in the first place. Oh my god! <laughs> and like it went, so I kind of rewrote it that night, and then Mrs. Rule, my supportive teacher, who I had again the junior year, she let me practice on the classroom, and so I guess like my first like real show was in front of my class, and um, I started off with little confidence, and and then like they laughed, and I got more confidence, and then as I went. I just got more, you know, more and more into it, and uh, uh, and then it, so it went well, and everybody was talking. Oh, I heard you did stand up at the in the first period, and, and so I did the audition for the talent show. I got in, I did the talent show, and um, I actually have a tape of that talent show, which is uh, I posted on Facebook recently. But oh, did wow. you see that one? When you... I did not see that one. <laughs> I, how did I miss that one? I will definitely review uh, when I go back. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> I'll uh, link to that in the show notes. For me, notes, it's very hard to watch. <laughs> Everyone loves watching, like, all my friends think it's the funniest thing ever, just in that it's so bad, but it's just, like, I'm so, I'm such a ham, like, I'm, you know, I'm, like, this really geeky 16-year-old with, like, glasses and acne and stuff, and, and for some reason, after every punchline, I just start, like, dancing. <laughs> like, <laughs> the worst thing You're ever. Like, I'll enjoy this regardless. <laughs> I will enjoy this by dancing a little bit, regardless yeah. of what happens. It's like I'm, like, overly confident, I guess. <laughs> That's my way to compensate uh, for it, I guess. Yeah. If you sound overly confident. Well, I remember before the show started, I was really nervous, and I wrote my jokes on my hand, and then I went out on stage, and I like I didn't realize like what the setting would be like, you know, because none of my shows so far had been like this, but like the spotlight was like right in my face, so like I couldn't see anyone in the audience. I could only Ooh. see this very bright light. Yeah. And it, and um, you know, I could hear people thankfully laughing, but but yeah, I'd written my jokes on my hand, and I was so nervous that like I was. Really sweaty. So all of my jokes smeared, and I had no idea what my set list was, and I had to <laughs> kind of just wing it from there. But, um, but yeah, it went it went well overall, I guess. And uh, um, then I just started like doing like open mics in in Cleveland, and uh, um, it was just I mean it was hilarious. It was like I was showing up as like this. I looked like I was twelve basically, and I was showing up to these like biker bars right. and like urban nights oh like, my god like, I went, I went, like my second show ever was like an urban night basically like you know as a black route and, yeah um and it wasn't even just stand-up comedy it was like there were like slam poets and um i remember the guy so like right before i went up this like slam poet got on stage and he's like i need a volunteer and i didn't raise my hand but he's like how about you and he like pulls me on stage that's always how it goes and he just started like delivering his his poetry quote unquote <laughs> it was really just a rant about white people like at me it was like the white man trying to bring me down the white man the problem <laughs> and, like, and then like, like uh... I left the stage and then like the host is like and now Rob O'Reilly had to like walk back on the stage <laughs> and be like I'm the comedian by the way I'm the next guy <laughs> yeah. and I'm like hey aren't teachers the worst guys and like, was, um, they did not connect with the audience at all what age was that when you did your first like stand up at like an open mic it was right after the talent show. So oh, I was, really? I was like 16, I guess. What compelled you Maybe to do the open mic? I mean, for some people, that they may just do a talent show and be like, all right, I did a talent show, I'm done. But what compelled you to actually do the open mics then and to keep it going? I guess I was just like, well, this is who I am now. I'm a comedian. Yeah, I don't know. So you I, did it I, once. And... I don't feel like I thought about it a lot. I just was like, oh, this was like, I, you know, my first show, my first real show, which was the talent show, went really well. Yeah. And so I was like, it was like a huge high, right? Like, sure. I was like... I mean, nothing could beat, like, how exciting that was for me. So I was, like, I think I was just, like, trying to get that high again. And uh, I think if my first show, 
like if that show hadn't gone well, I never would have kept doing it. That's then, that's like, yeah. It's just like it just worked out that it did go well, and so I had, I like knew how good it could be, and so then I kind of had this, because my next like seven shows were all horrible, but I kind of had this mindset of like, well, it's not me, it's the audience. You yeah. Know what I mean, because I can do this. Like I did a show that went well, so like I know that I'm funny, but it's like the, <laughs> the, I need to be with the right audience. So. Um, but, I'm just curious about early on, so especially. So the, you had the talent show, and then you had some of those first open mics. What were you doing to prepare early on? I'm sure it might have changed later on in the process. But what did you do early on to prepare for those shows and write your? How did you even? What was your process at that time? Do you remember? Um. I mean, I I was very, like, obsessed with what my like set list was going to be. So you know, really like writing the jokes, like trying to like narrow them down to be concise and reword them to make sure the punchline was like the last word of the sentence you know of a paragraph or whatever and then um memorizing what that set list was and i was like very rehearsed in a way you know because it was like i think that's how most beginners are is like you start off being like very rehearsed before you're like comfortable being extemporaneous right I like to get into detail, so I'm going to dig even further. <laughs> With that, so at that time, are you spending like an hour after classes? Are you, you know, how much time are you putting into this back then? I don't think I was putting enough time. I mean, I, I don't think at that point I was like, oh, this is like, you know, what I'm going to do with my life. Like, so I, I, it was just a hobby, so I think I just kind of worked on it here and there. I don't think I took it too seriously. Yeah, so at that time, you're just like, all right, I'll do this. I have a show here at this time when it goes open mic. Obviously, got to prepare for it. I think I've always kind of been the type of person that is like, like, oh, I'll work on this on my way down to your club. Like, I, don't, I, don't I should really... probably have something ready for this in case they yeah. call me up at the show beforehand and then I don't have any time. I always just kind of have this uh, confidence, I guess, that I'm like, I'll figure it out later. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get like, it. I don't need to work on this. No big deal. Yeah, which I probably would have done better if I had put more energy into things ahead of time. But yeah, I mean, maybe, but at the same time, maybe would have. It would have seemed more like work. And then you wouldn't want to do it as much. It's true. So that's how else. the guitar was for me. Like I tried to play guitar as a kid, and it felt like homework every time I had to practice. So I was like, Yeah, I don't want to play guitar. Yeah, they're like, I oh, know, I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. What, how did that transition? Like, you had that in high school, and then in college, what did you do with it at that point in time? Then. So yeah, I went to BU, Boston University, and I, um, I mean, I, a big part of picking BU was that I knew I could do comedy in Boston, and so, you know, I found. A couple of clubs that would have me and uh, just started kind of you know uh, bugging the bookers about booking me and I you know like once a month or so I would go do some show and I would bring a bunch of like college kids with mm. me every time which I think is why I kept getting booked. that's why <laughs> you know because like they care mostly about putting butts in seats so, right um, sell drinks sell food that type of thing yeah yeah so yeah, I mean, it went well. I just kind of just slowly got better, and um, um, I don't know. I don't think I, like, fully understood that, like, if this was, like, I, I it was always kind of like, oh, that would be great to be a comedian, but, like, I didn't think of it as, like, a realistic goal, so I always had this kind of, like, oh, well, I'm going to college, and I'm going to, like, get a real job and right. stuff, and it's, like, by the time I graduated, I never, I didn't end up getting a real job, but... Um, so the whole time. So how much were you, how often were you doing shows in college? About like once a month, I think. Once yeah. a month. And then, I, I should have done it more. I guess what I'm getting at is like, I should have been like, like, I should have been like, this is my vision. I want to do this full time. So yeah. I'm going to like work, like I worked way more at school than I did at stand up. but I, you know. What was your degree in then at school? 
Yeah, so I was television major. Television. So I started as econ and then I switched because I was like, yeah, the stand up basically. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. like, I wanted to stand up. I want to like maybe write for TV someday. So. So did you? So in college, you knew still that you're like, I'm gonna get in, into stand up and I want to do that for a while and see how where see where it goes, kind of type of thing. And didn't you start, or you were already doing writing in college for? Was it BUTV show or uh, what? What was mm-hmm. that exactly? Yeah, I got there. There they had a BUTV was the channel that they had, and um, there were like three shows, and I got rejected as a writer for all of them. I submitted, <laughs> and um, so I just started my own show. They didn't have any like late night talk show, and so my friends and I started this kind of, you know, Conan O'Brien like show um, that I hosted and and wrote for, and. Uh, I mean, it's again, it's like awful to watch in hindsight. I saw like the tapes of it, and I'm like, oh my god, this is so bad. <laughs> but yeah, when I mean, we were college kids, we didn't know what we were, we were doing. But well, yeah, what are you, um, what are you supposed to expect at that age? Like, you're like, let's just start something. You have no idea what we were doing. Yeah. But I mean, it was it was invaluable in like learning how to I don't know, do that kind of thing. But so, what was the process for you in setting that up? You're just like, okay, I got rejected from these other things. I still want to do it. Yeah. Let's start a show. Yeah, I mean, it was it was actually pretty easy at, at BU to just, like, start something. They were pretty supportive of it. Um, so I think my friends and I just were like, yeah, we should do a show. And then we, like, I think, I remember, like, my sophomore year, we put out some sort of, um, you know, post. I don't know how we posted it, but that, you know, we were going to audition people for all our staff roles. And we had, like, over 100 freshmen show up to audition for things. And it was like... It's like, oh, this is great. Like, I got, I got rejected, <laughs> like, a year ago, right? And now I'm, like, the gatekeeper who's, like, deciding right. who gets to join my show. Right, tables have turned. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that was, like, a big kind of learning lesson for me of, like, oh, like, when, you know, just start your own thing. Like, don't yeah. wait for other people to, you know, select you. Like, right, I think that's important, too, because I think a lot of people have the traditional path in mind always, and there are so many others, especially when you start – when you start researching, you start looking into things. Like I've always been interested in entrepreneurship, so I've always had that mindset of like, I'm just gonna start this thing. Like, why do I have to watch everyone else do it when I want to do it? It's just like, you just get started, and that leads to something, which leads to something else. Um, I guess in comedy for you, it made sense to do the same thing. Like, let's just yeah. start a show, and then we'll go from there. Um, so you go from that experience, you start that that show in college. Then what were you thinking after? <laughs> like, what what did you get into after, and how did you decide like that? All right, this is next. Like, you want to do comedy? What'd you do next? Like, what was the process for that? Um, well, yeah, like I, I was doing stand up, and I, um, I guess like a big moment was my junior year. I did, um, I auditioned to be in the Boston Comedy Festival, just okay. a big festival, and um, I got in, and I uh, ended up making the finals, and I got a good like tape out of it, tape quote unquote. I mean, you know, like a. A video of it. Right, some clips from that. Right. <laughs> I'm old, so I yeah, I'm tape. tape. But, um, like, what, what are you talking about, kids? Uh, now? What is he talking about? And tape? so, um, I used that to submit to a bunch of college agents, like agents that book comics at colleges. Mm-hmm. And I got my first agent and um, started uh, doing NACOs afterwards, which is National Association of Campus Activities. Yeah, and you made a video for that. I know recently you did that, talking a little bit about it. But Oh, yeah, I just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Can you explain a little bit more about how beneficial that was for you? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's it was great as a young person, especially because, you know, I was performing in front of mostly like 19-year-olds, so 
Um, I started doing it while I was still in college, um, but basically, you know, you go to these conferences and you do a showcase where the, you know, like every school has like a, you know, like the activities club, right? It's like the the campus activities club or the student activities council or it's like something like that. Right. And so they they go they all go to these conferences and they book entertainers to come. Okay. At like relatively high rates. <laughs> I mean, compared to like a comedy club, a comedian makes a lot more at college, you know, like, because you make, like, you make more in one night than you generally would make like a whole weekend at a comedy club. Really? Yeah. So it's very lucrative. Um, and so I would, uh, like just travel around these different regions based on wherever my conference was. Like one year I did four conferences. So I actually was like traveling. That was my big year. Like, I think it was like, uh, I don't know, 2010 or something. I was like traveling all over the country. Um, like I was basically like leaving Tuesday, I was living in New York, but I was like leaving Tuesday and like coming back Sunday every week for like eight months. Wow. Um, just like what a schedule. going around like North Dakota, now, you know, Massachusetts, now <laughs> it was pretty crazy. So, um, and you're just, you're just doing comedy that for each, each event. So just thing. going to a college and, um, like the typical show would be like, they'd be like, Oh, you know, we have like 150 people in like a student union or something like that. Like that was like what was usually happening. But I mean, sometimes like the the two extremes would be like sometimes it was like a lunch show in a cafeteria where like nobody was paying attention, and then they're just suddenly like, like, hey, we've got a comedian. Like people are trying to like eat French fries, and suddenly there's a guy that's just standing there telling jokes. Like that makes no sense. And then and then like you know sometimes there were like amazing shows where I remember one time. I was, like, running late, and, like, and they were, like, oh, can you just, like, go, you know, right on stage, and so I, like, hadn't seen the, the show before, and I was, like, sure, so, they like, take me through the backstage, and I go on stage, I had no idea what to expect, right, like, I'm thinking it's, like, a typical, like, 150 people, I, it's this little tiny school, too, is, like, in Minnesota, and I walk on stage, and there's, like, 5,000 people in this huge auditorium, what? There's a sign language interpreter on stage just for me. That's awkward. I, well, I became obsessed with it. I was like, my whole show just became like getting this woman to like say dirty words. Right, right. And you talk faster. <laughs> and then like making she... jokes about how the sign language was and stuff. Um, but it was unbelievable. And then like, you know, it was basically like there was only like 5,000 people at this entire school. It's like basically everyone from the school goes to there. this show for some reason. And... Um, yeah, it was like, I mean, I walked around on, on campus afterwards and I, I knew exactly what it was like to be a celebrity that night, you know, because it was like everyone knew who I was. Recognized you from the show, yeah, obviously. Yeah. So, I mean, that was like an unbelievable night. And you um, didn't realize that was even going to happen. Like, you didn't realize no, how no many idea. people were yeah. going to be there. Yeah, after that show, I started always calling and ahead and asking the college, <laughs> like, how many people do you expect and like stuff like that. So I'd like right. be more mentally prepared. But um, that night, I had not like gotten talk, in, in contact with them yet. Um, how are you managing that schedule? You said like Tuesday through like Sunday you'd be gone. How'd you manage it in terms of one would be like creating the jokes and having that prepared? Was the, was it the same material every time? Uh, yeah, I mean, more or less. I, I guess you know I was doing like an hour to an hour and fifteen minute sets every time, and I basically would memorize clusters of jokes. So it'd be like here's a bunch of jokes about my family. Here's a bunch of jokes about. Um, Ohio, here's a bunch of jokes about traveling, here's a bunch of, you know, so I like, they're all kind of linked in my head, so once I remembered a group of jokes, I could kind of like go through all of them. A list for that. Yeah, so, um, and then I, you know, a lot of new jokes would come and go from the set, you know. I mean, being a comedian is like a lot of trial and error, it's a lot of 
I mean, you, you write a hundred jokes just to get one that sticks in, in your act, you know, because sure. most of the jokes you try out fail. Um, so, you know, I've tried a lot of new jokes that fail, and, you know, every once in a while a joke works, and you just kind of keep tinkering with it and holding on to it, and it's, it's kind of an evolving process. How do you how do you decide if it works? Is it purely crowd reaction? Is it crowd reaction at multiple crowds? Is it, like, how do you judge that? It's just, it's pretty much crowd reaction, yeah. But, I mean, it's tough because sometimes... I mean, a lot of times you, you do a joke that does just doesn't work and um, you give up on it. And the, But if you had just done it in a different... Like I said earlier, like it, crowds, different crowds laugh at different things, right? So that's right. the really tough part as a comedian is, is like um, there's certain jokes that only you know young people would like in my act. There were certain jokes that only older people would like in my act. And it was like... Uh, I might do a joke and give up on it and then but if I had just stuck with it maybe like a, you know I'd realize that a different type of crowd likes it or whatever um, and so yeah that I mean that, that's probably one of the toughest things about being a comedian it's like it's, I mean someone once said I heard that you know you're like a musician and the, the audience is your instrument you know it's like sometimes your instrument doesn't show up you know it's, like, it's <laughs> right. like a very t- difficult part of being a comedian is that you're very reliant on how the crowd is and uh, uh how do you deal with the different crowds it, it, you know i assume so colleges you might have so it's younger people in general is that correct right with a college scene when you're doing jokes yeah so in a crowd that's more a uh, mixed either diversity of your ages or whatever are you doing you know some jokes to hit with the younger people some jokes to hit with the older people in a whole set or how do you structure that for like an well, hour I you guess, know i guess Theoretically, I was always striving for jokes that were universal that would okay. that any crowd Anyone. would like. You know, like they were, like I mean, the the best comedians are like so funny that they're you know any crowd would laugh at them. But uh, and those were the kind of jokes I was always trying to write. And like I still feel like even at this point, I still only have like five seven minutes of material that like I'm like no matter what <laughs> the crowd good. like this will make the crowd laugh um, because it's just so subjective, you know. But um, but I. Basically, it wasn't. I mean, I basically just had it as like these are my normal jokes, and then I have maybe another 10, 15 minutes of jokes that because I've done so many college shows, like I know these jokes specifically work with college kids and no one else. <laughs> uh, and they were pretty much the jokes that I wrote like while I was college aged, you know, yeah, that college in that kids, mindset. Yeah. yeah, easier to be part of your your target market or target audience per se then you already know like what they're talking about what's funny yeah. what's just on your mind it seems like that type of thing yeah. how did you evolve that to change like jokes for other people or more universal that aren't just young people how did you write those jokes or come up with that material um i mean i think i just got older and so like my life experiences change and so you know no, I mean, no more gay roommates, as you mentioned in the some of your <laughs> some of your things. Yeah. I've seen a fair amount of your comedy now. Yeah. And uh, there's some there's some really good ones. And then you must have just like actually, it's funny. I mean, so, I feel like so many of my jokes, like at, like in 2018, like would would like not no longer fly. Yeah. That's <laughs> like I did I did like a college not that well, I don't know maybe a few years ago, and I already I was like wow like what college kids laugh at has really changed because it was like jokes that used to kill like we're getting no laughs and like it's just like college kids have gotten so much more um politically correct about you know like you basically just can't even like bring up like race any of that like you know right yeah it's like they're just so sensitive but it's it's not that they it's like the thing is with people who are really sensitive about that kind of 
I can tell that it's not that they're actually offended, it's that they think they're supposed to be offended. Sure. And so, like, on the behalf of the person who's next to them, they won't laugh, right? Because they're like, oh, like, I don't want to look bad because I'm laughing at this, you know? So, right, so they think. So it's frustrating because it's like, oh, just laugh. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know it's funny. I'm just joking. It's just, yeah. just comedy. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. I've never actually, like, the thing is, like, you know, if I was to do a black joke to a black crowd, mm-hmm. they would all laugh at it, right? Right. It's like, if I'm doing it, for white people, they're like, oh, there's no black people. Can it's like it's almost like they that? need to like look at a black person laughing to be like, okay, it's okay to laugh at this. Oh, yeah. It's like, like look real quick, verified. Okay. <laughs> they have people like me who are mixed, so I got both sides. So it really doesn't matter. Like half of you laughing. Half of me inside or outside. One, yeah. la- one side of your mouth. <laughs> right. Like, oh, that's funny. Like, oh, it wasn't that funny. Like, yeah, actually, it was pretty good, but it all depends on the the material. Um, and going from that, like, did your preparation for those events change? I mean, from when you were you were in high school when you started this whole comedy thing. How did that evolve? You're, you know, you're out of college. You're doing all these different shows for colleges. What was your preparation like on the road? Was it still kind of just winging it last minute more so? Was it like you kept working on the same material over and over again, so you really had, you really had it down? Because I mean, what I read somewhere is you did over like 400 colleges or something around that. Like I, I imagine by the end you had a, a better process, or like how did that change for you? So what's the question? Is how, Just like, how did that evolve your your process of preparation? You're really obsessed with preparation. I am because because the reason being is <laughs> everyone wants to get into something like that's how they do it, right? Yeah. Well, I you know I think let me kind of answer a different question, sure. but like that's related to I think what kind of what you're overall getting at with a podcast that's called Just Go Grind, which right is that, yeah. that's the name, right? Um, I mean I think. I talk to a lot of comedians, oh, how do I get into comedy? It's, it's like, just do it. Like, just go start, right? Like, th- that's the main thing is there's no gatekeepers anymore. You know, 50 years ago, if you wanted to be a stand-up comic, it's like, oh, well, like, you have to get the booker for Johnny Carson to like you. And if he doesn't like you, you're out of the bit, you know, it's like, but nowadays there's so many routes, right? You can be a right. YouTube star, you can be whatever. Like, there's just so many ways that you can create your own content and get out there and become successful that there should be nothing stopping you like you, th- the best way to learn how to do something is to get your thousand hours right to just start or whatever it is i think it's ten thousand hours, hours. Yeah. yeah so just start doing it right but even i remember i saw a, a ted talk about how just the first 20 is like the most informative right of those ten thousand like you will get remarkably better in the first 20 hours you know what i mean sure so um if you want to do stand-up comedy, just start going to open mics. Like every time you do an open mic, even if you bomb horribly, you'll learn a lot from the experience and get much better. And right. Um, I had this girlfriend once who I said she just graduated from college, and I said, "What do you want to do?" And she said, "I want to be a writer." And I said, "Oh, like what have you written?" She's like, well, "I've never written anything." And I'm like, "Well, you need to start writing. Like that's step one of like this career goal of right. being a writer is." You need to start, or like that was like just blew my mind. I'm like, you're, you've never written anything. Why, why not writing if you <laughs> yeah, want to like, write? You should, like, my my big advice would be like, carve out at least two hours of every day to focus specifically on your vision, right? You need to decide what your vision is and just start doing things that are baby steps towards that vision. And if you, if you just can commit, Sometimes it's really hard for people to get started, right? To like commit to something, you know, writing a novel or whatever. But if you can just commit to two hours every day, um, you probably find that you'll end up writing even more than two hours. Um, but you know, you'll you'll make so much progress in just such a short amount of time. Like those first ten days, you'll make so much progress, right? Um, 
and I think like that's advice that anyone who's trying to start something really needs to. It's know. really simple, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just do it. <laughs> right. You want to write, just write. If yeah. You want write, you know, be a comedian, start making jokes. And like when I wanted to be a stand-up comic, I never like found a successful stand-up comic and was like, "How did you start doing this?" Right. I just started doing it. Right. I was like, and I was like 16. Like I just started That's going. Crazy. I looked up open mics in the newspaper and drove to them. You know, yeah. like nothing. You know what I mean? Like, not that I had it all figured out at that age, but I at least was like, oh, like, I want to do this, so I'm going to go do it. You know? Sure. And with that, so you want you wanted to do it, so you went and did it. But how did you, was there any fear? Was there that fear of, like, rejection? Was there times you are like, this, am I really cut out for this? Did you have any of that? Oh, yeah. Every comic. What'd I you... mean, I feel like every comic is only as happy as their last set, right? So it's like this <laughs> roller coaster of emotions where it's like, oh, my last set went horrible. I'm not a good comic. I'm not funny. Yeah. Is there any self-talk, um, or what do you do? You're just like, well, I want to be a comic. I have to keep going, or how is that... Um, how do you manage? Yeah, it's just like you just want to get that sour taste out of your mouth. So it's like, oh, I need to have a good set now. So now I'm even more motivated to like mm. work hard at it and write better jokes. And um, I mean, specifically with stand-up comedy, you have to remain kind of detached from your jokes. I think where it's like, it's like I don't. It's it's fine that they didn't like this joke. Right? That that doesn't mean that I'm not funny. That just means that this joke isn't funny. Like yeah. I know I have good jokes. Like right? Like it's just like. It's like that with me and anything. It's like if I write a script that people don't like, and like I feel like people are always like trying to sugarcoat, like oh, oh, like you know I like this, but it, it's like it's fine <laughs> to just say you didn't like like <laughs> I, I, it's just something I made, but it's not me. That, right? yeah. It's like it's, it's just, one thing it's, I put and out I can make other things when if this is bad, right? Like I, I even great artists have failures, you know. Yeah. So. How long after college were you doing these tours? So the four hundred different different colleges you went and did shows for. Was that a year, two years? Like how long did you even do shows for it? For like the college specifically, or was that like an ongoing um, thing periodically? You still started, did. I started when I was like 21, and I, I mean, I, the height of it was when I was like 24, 25, and I was still doing it up until maybe like two or three years ago. Okay. So, still doing shows for colleges. Um, so I guess it was like a 10-year run or so. Um, okay. But uh, I, yeah, I haven't done it in a while. Okay. And then, so obviously, some of the big things you've done. Let's talk about Jimmy Fallon working for that writing jokes. Yeah. How did you get to that point? How did that material? Um, well, I was. Um, they had a freelance program back then. They don't do it anymore, but where they would accept jokes from people who were submitting them. Okay. You know, from an email. And um, I knew the head writer of. Well, what happened was, I went to a party for Live at Gotham, which was a Comedy Central show, and uh, at the party, there was the head writer for Jimmy Fallon, and I knew he was, and so, or maybe I didn't, I don't know, but I started talking to him, and at, that, at some point I, you know, asked, I told him who I was, and I just asked, I literally just asked, I was like, can I be a freelance, <laughs> what do I do? you know, I, I was like, oh, I'm a young comedian, can I, can I submit jokes for the show, and he was like, yeah, sure. And so we exchanged information, and so it was just kind of like happenstance that we were just both at, well, in one sense it was happenstance. I mean, you know, so much of your career, right, is like being in the, like, it's like, right if you were to like tell someone else who's young, they might think, oh, you just got lucky or something, but it's like, well, no, you're always like, by getting out there, by going to the right places, by meeting the right people all the time, you're like sowing all these seeds, and you're, you're putting yourself in the place to quote-unquote get lucky, but it's not really luck, because you're 
you know, you're creating a career. Right. right. You're not just um, sitting there in your house. And like, <laughs> uh, come on, today's yeah. the day. <laughs> yeah. um, so you just happen to be there. You talk to him, and then what happened? I'm uh, just. You just started, started submitting. Yeah, like I got on some sort of list that was like, what they would do is I every morning they'd say, here are all our premises um, from the news, and you know, write a punchline basically. And so I'd spend like three hours every morning writing punchlines for monologue jokes and then emailing them back in. And you did that for, was it like a year or so? About a year, I think, yeah. And then they shut down the program. I would have kept doing it, but they, uh, there's, you know, writing unions, and they uh, were aware of it and decided to put an end to it, I guess. Jesus. Because they were, te- I mean, technically they were getting writing, you know, they were getting work from people who weren't in the union, so. Yeah. That's a little... Yeah. It's like kind of a Iffy. loophole, yeah. So <laughs> a, loop, a loophole they, they exploited. They, like, yeah, so they, they, I guess, I mean, it's the union thing's tough, right? Because it's like, in one sense, it's like, oh, yes, like people, you shouldn't be able to go around a union. But like, it was giving opportunities to people who would probably someday be in the union. Or, you know, yeah, or had aspirations of being in the union, yeah. per se, but then it didn't. And then another big thing you did was, so for a while, MTV's Ridiculousness with Rob Dyrdek what well, how did that happen <laughs> like, yeah, so eventually, that was a couple years later wasn't it from the Jimmy Fallon thing like maybe yeah that was uh, right after actually I think I moved to LA and um, I did stand up in LA for like a year and eventually um, I guess similarly I through stand up I met this guy who was a stand up comic but was also the um, one of the main producers the executive producers of Ridiculousness okay and um, actually, it's kind of, it's the the specifics of it are pretty funny. I was I was at a bar one time, and I I went to a bar that it just happened to be a cast party for the show, and I like I didn't know that, and um, and but he like walked out, and I was like I knew him. I was like oh can I come in? He's like yeah. So he got me into this what was like a, like a rap party for Ridiculousness season two, I guess, and. Um, I had a few drinks and I, and I was like talking to someone who wrote for the show and I was like like how did you get this job and he's like oh you know that guy got me the job and so I finally I was just I, like he like walked by and I was like hey man like you should hire me on the show <laughs> <laughs> you're like of course like, I, I had enough uh, liquid courage so I was just like hey man like you should hire me and, and he was just like yeah okay <laughs> like, great yeah you want to and uh <laughs> And uh, and then like so like months later I was like I wonder I wonder if he even remembers that conversation or if he was like he was just like he was drunk or something too yeah but he he emailed me and was like yeah you want to come in what I didn't realize I thought I was like oh like I've I've like I've been hired for the season like I thought like you know I thought it was a big I mean it was to me a very big deal at the time it was my first writing job right and um, what I eventually kind of realized in hindsight I guess was that they were like auditioning tons of people for writing jobs yeah. like and so so many people were like coming and going and not sticking around <laughs> and but I guess fortunately I did well enough in the writing room that I, I stuck around but um it was like me and one other guy that got hired at the same time stuck around for a long time but there were like countless people in and out you know that would like they'd be there for like a day and they wouldn't say anything and then the next day they just weren't there <laughs> <laughs> where did John go I have no idea I just didn't see him yeah it was it was it was interesting it wasn't like I guess like typically writing jobs are you like you submit a packet and then you get hired off that but this was just kind of like the guys they knew from comedy and they just were like let's give them a shot and if they don't work like we just won't have someone else that type of thing yeah what was it like what was was it like a 
certain number of hours, like a full-time job. Like, what was that position like? Or yeah, it was from ten to seven. Okay. Every day and. Um, so this is like a full-time job. Yeah. For them. So okay. yeah, it was. I mean, it marked a huge transition in my life from basically, you know, being a stand-up comic who right. worked at night and um, had my days free and did a lot of traveling to like suddenly having this very, like, you know, quote-unquote nine-to-five job yeah. where I was staying in one city all the time. And frankly, like after working a full day of work, I was too tired to go do stand-up at night. And I didn't have new jokes anyways because I had spent the whole day at work. Writing so. jokes and like yeah, stuff. writing jokes for Rob Deerdeck. So man, yes, you're so right. All the time. I I kind of just slowly stopped doing as much stand up and um um and I, at right, right around the same time I met my wife, you know, so I like suddenly had this very like stable relationship with someone who didn't want me to leave at night because <laughs> she wanted to <laughs> hang out with me and watch Netflix. So, spend time with you? What is yeah, that all about? Right? Oh, my God. Women. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I kind of just, like, transitioned into the, being this kind of just, like, typical 9-to-5 guy. Um, and I just kind of grew up a lot and got married and... Um, which, you know, and then it kind of got to a point where I was like, well, as long as I'm, like, doing, like, the 9-to-5 thing, like, I might as well, like, go for it and try to be, like more successful so sure you know, make more money frankly so i was like i'm gonna get an mba wow so we will get there in one second <laughs> but i cannot let that pass without going back for a second um the writing room you're there for what five years at so i was in the writing room for i think like two years two and years. then um i switched departments to the department that is basically the people who find the clips that they show on the show okay what is the writing room like for that type of show? You're working all day. How does that work? I've, I've heard um, on another podcast, I think Adam Grant had his po- a podcast uh, about work, and he talked about the writing room. I don't remember what it was for, another comedy big type of thing, but what was it like for you in the writing room, or how did that process work for them? I mean, at Ridiculousness, I think, I think it's probably pretty different than most. Um, I've been in a couple of writing rooms, and I guess I can say with, with certainty it, it is very different. <laughs> it's I mean, different. Because it's there's not that much, you know, creative content you're doing. You know, you're basically just, um, at that point we were basically just determining which clips we wanted on the show, right. and then once we decided which ones kind of made the cut, so to speak, we were then organizing them into funny category ideas. Um, you know, like finding like a unique angle on clips that like strung them together, and then. From there, we were like assigning those categories to our guests. So we were like finding some connection between the guest biography and then the clips, right? Like something that made some sort of parallel. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you're saying. I've seen the show, so I can get how you'd have to figure that out <laughs> yeah. in the background. Yeah, I mean, some, sometimes they were very on the nose. Like it'd be like, oh, well, you know, he's a baseball player, so you're a baseball. You know, like there's like some something that was a very easy transition. But sometimes they were like really like out there connections between yeah, like how are <laughs> like, you believe in aliens and like this is a clip <laughs> where like the person gets so hurt they look like an alien after they fall like, like uh it's a reach it's a reach <laughs> <laughs> yeah but honestly sometimes the ones that were like the most of a stretch were like the funniest yeah know, but, like, it works but um, it's fine but yeah so it was kind of like it wasn't as like uh creatively you know i don't know it wasn't as creatively um, challenging as most like writing jobs would be. It was more like organizational, and I mean, I guess you had to be creative in like thinking of interesting ways to group these clips together. But 
Um, it wasn't like typical writing jobs. Yeah, and you've also done a lot or a fair amount of like production work for like different skits or different like TV related or like videos. What were some of those gigs and where did that fit in like the timelines? I need to. Justin, I don't want to brag, um, but I was a PA on Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants Part Two. Oh my. Um, often Part considered two. one of the greatest. <laughs> cinema pieces of all time um i think it was nominated that year um uh <laughs> it's on my list so that was, that was my first job i was a wardrobe assistant my friend got me that job um right out of college i was a wardrobe, wardrobe assistant for uh so i was like i told my mom i'm like yeah i'm like working on this movie and she's like what's the name of the movie i'm like sister of the traveling pants part two and she's like what right. there's, there's no way that's the name of a movie and i'm like no i swear and she's like what do you do for the and i'm like <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm a you know wardrobe PA, and she's like, so you're in charge of the pants? <laughs> um, Explain that but, one, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I did like, and then I was a PA for American Idol, and uh, <laughs> you're just, just like, like slipping things in here. <laughs> oh yeah, I once was the president of this country in Africa. Like, all these different things you're just like putting out there. Interesting that you <laughs> would think of being a PA mm-hmm. as for American Idol as right. oh, it just similar to a president natu- of African Naturally in my head, that's where it went. Yeah. So I went with it. Okay. I mean, I guess it's kind of weird. I was, uh, yeah, it was kind of a funny job because I had to, um, I, both of these jobs basically involved me being a driver. I was always like driving things around New York in a van. I think I was like the only PA that had a license. I don't know. You don't want to drive. The only person they trusted to drive things. Um, <laughs> But I remember at some point I realized that like my 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 uh, success rate was was based primarily on how quickly I could do things, um, and so and I was never the one who was paying for tickets, right? Like I was driving like a company van. Okay. <laughs> so I was like, like oh I should just like double park right. everywhere I go. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not paying a ticket if I get a ticket. So I just started double parking in New York City all the time, like collecting countless tickets probably. But... Like Rob, we can't pay you anymore <laughs> because your tickets cost us too much money. <laughs> it's like by the tickets by the time the tickets came I was on to my next job. But um uh yeah, so I was like I was just like transporting things around New York. But um and then what else did I do? Well I have on What's here somebody... Comedy Central, last comic standing tonight show. Well, those are always like performances. Those are all performances for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's tonight show. I, I was a correspondent. Uh, they had this contest called uh, "Who Wants to Be a Tonight Show Correspondent." So I like made a tape of me interviewing, um, you know, it's like like you know like Jay Leno does okay. um, jaywalking. So like I did a similar thing on the on BU's campus and uh, submitted that, and they selected it from like I don't know. They said they got like ten thousand tapes or something, and they selected mine. Shoot. And showed it on the air. Well, and they well showed it on the, a best of the Tonight Show, so that was exciting. Why do you think yours, yours um, stood out? Because um, I'm funny. <laughs> I don't Damn, know. that's what I take. <laughs> so uh, we, can, we could just stop right there with that clip. If you want, just be funny. And you'll, get, you'll get shit done. No, I mean, honestly, like, what's funny is the day we taped it, we taped like, um, gosh, I think we taped for like three hours, but I just cut it down to like the funniest 30 seconds right it's like anyone can seem funny oh, right. if like you just take like if you just cherry pick the best possible moments from something right, right? yeah um so that, the, like one of the clips they showed was i'm talking to this guy who's on like a recumbent bicycle you know what that is? yeah and and um and he's like he's like a very blue collar guy and he goes 
He goes, so yeah, this is, uh, you know, this is great for the kind of guy who just wants to like sit back and relax. And I'm like, oh, oh, you know, you know what else is good for that? Cars. <laughs> You're like, uh, yeah, there's there's other options. <laughs> and then I showed a clip of me with this guy where he, he like can't get his thoughts together. He just looks like a pothead. And I'm like, how much pot do you smoke? Um, I don't know. I mean, honestly, it's like when I'm thinking back on it, it like, wasn't even that great, but it, I guess it was probably, I, I'm guessing a lot of the submissions were, were, just, were just like, yeah, awful. Uh, I've, I've, I've been someone who was in charge of submissions before and, and like, oh my God, so many of these are just, like, I were, oh, that brings me to another job. I, had, yes. I worked for a radio station in Cleveland okay. um, in promotions, so... Um, that was pretty that was fresh cool. out of college, wasn't it? I was still in college, yeah. Still in college. Intern, actually, yeah. So uh, it was like during a summer... And uh, the best thing about promotions is like you just get so much free stuff. <laughs> it's just like, like there's just like a warehouse of CDs, and it's like yeah, like whatever, just, like, <laughs> just have whatever you want. Um, so that was awesome. Just, but, just take it, yeah. Well, so what did you actually do in that role? What what was your role? Just like go viewing, just to go for you know, just like you know, it's funny. I, here's a little interesting tidbit. <laughs> yeah, we want all the interesting tidbits, Rob. Well, because radio contests, they have these, like, you know, with the, uh, here's a jar, and, like, you know, we're going to have a thousand people, you know, people are writing down their name and number, and then you're submitting to win concert tickets or whatever, you know. And you'd think that it's random, right? You would, one would think that, <laughs> Rob, think yes. That. But I was in charge of picking the winners, so I would like go through and be like, oh, who's from my hometown? Like, you won free to get to So like, anything that you think might be not random is probably not random. In that so situation, keep that for in mind. sure. Yeah. Okay, so I'm never and, you know, doing it. Lotteries, if, if you're not seeing them select a winner, probably yeah. not, not random. Like, who's your buddy? Um, oh, yeah. Let's get him in but, there. But... Uh, I feel like we're really getting off topic. I'm no, about here's the thing. I don't care at all about that. We're just having a conversation that happens to be recorded, Rob. That's really the only yeah, thing. Yeah, what I'm admitting to, first of all, um, <laughs> double parking. <laughs> and, what are you going to uh, do now about that? Rigging I mean. elections. Um, hashtag Donald Trump. But, uh, oh. uh, yeah, so, whatever, whatever it takes, really. Yeah. yeah. Whatever it takes. Um, I didn't actually ask you about the comedy, the stand-up comedy you did in L.A. So you moved to L.A. and you said you started doing stand-up comedy. That was why you moved, or what was the the move? Um, well, I moved mainly because I was like, oh, I want to be a TV writer now. And I had written this spec script that this agent liked, and I was like, okay, now's the time I'm gonna like strike while I'm hot. I made a bunch of money doing all this college gigs. So, you know, so I had saved up money. I was like, I'm gonna move, and I, you know, I, honestly, I, I think I wish I had kind of. Um, kind of what I was talking about earlier about like just go for it like I was like I want to be a TV writer but I had not written enough at that point because I was like I moved here I had a lot of buzz I was getting all these meetings you know I was like meeting with like you know like the head of some studio and like the person at CBS and it's like I didn't have any good things to say in the meetings right like because they'd be like so like what do you want to do and I'd be like I want to be a writer and it's yeah. like okay you have a script and I'd be wait. like not yet but wait you know so but I will like, I wish I when I had been in those positions I had like been ready with like here's my pilot you know yeah. like here's a you know that's how here's what I want to do you know but so it's like important to like kind of so many people kind of like want especially comics it's like they want it like you know they're a beginner comic and they're like how do I get on coming how do I? And it's like slow down like Easy. make sure you're ready for these 
things before yeah. you get them because like once you get a bunch of attention you need to capitalize on it right and mm-hmm. it, it kind of fuel the fire with that and even like when reaching out for like podcast guys or to connect with people like oh it's it, there's a difference between saying i'm gonna start a podcast and like asking people versus i have it already and right. then it's like a whole different it's a whole different sure, thing yeah. and it's the same with anything Similar. else yeah. like yeah if you have you you're gonna write a book one day, okay? Well, have you wrote like blog posts? Have you wrote anything else? Do you have an audience already? There's a first step that has to happen for that to happen. Um, one thing that I found interesting when doing some uh, some research. So, LA Weekly's top ten comedy acts to watch of 2012. <laughs> we have we have Rob O'Reilly, folks. Number Are you gonna s- list the other number people? seven? <laughs> number seven, right? You know who is number ten? Gerard Carmichael. <laughs> Who, who is rated has... higher than Gerard Carmichael? Rob O'Reilly. But did you look at the rest of the list? I did look at Literally the rest of the list. Everyone else on that list is famous now. I looked at There's the rest like of the list. Amy Schumer. There's a lot of people. DJ Miller. There's a lot of people on that list. Yeah. And I was like, Rob, you were on that same list. Yeah. That's so awesome. It's kind of sad in a way. <laughs> I didn't live up to it. Um, yeah. It's kind of like what I was saying. Like I wasn't like prepared. I wasn't totally prepared I kind of like I had a moment in the sun and I kind of missed missed an opportunity to strike you know so you're saying when prepared what would you have done like what I'm saying is I wish like when I moved to LA and yeah. I suddenly like that list is a good example of like I suddenly got a bunch of buzz right right and I wish at that point I already like had written a pilot and been like this is what I want I want to like make this pilot mm-hmm. like I got meetings where people were like what do you want to do and I was like I don't know you know I want to be a writer I guess yeah they're like I don't know. I just so I like wasn't I didn't have a clear vision in mind of like yeah. how to get what I wanted, and I want I should have been, um, you know, more prepared. So. How do you think you even got to that? You think you were on those lists because of like all the shows you performed with the colleges? Was that what did it, or was there other no, things? No, the colleges had like nothing to do. Nothing with to do with that at all. Success as a, like a, you know. What was that? Because they're so off. The, no one that works at CBS no, is like in the audience Cleveland. at uh, Montclair State University. You know, like like those shows are just like I got better as a comic, but I, they had almost nothing to do with like my kind of. It's when you're a comic, it's like you basically have two lives, right? You have the like, you do shows in the city you're in, which is probably either like New York or LA, sure. where industry people might be there, and more importantly, like other comics are there who will like. That's how you network with other comics and like if you know someone gets a tv show and you're their friend and then they hire you on the tv show like that's a big part of your career right is like the networking of being in your city but then you also go on the road and you like that's how you kind of like make money it's like you just go and do a show in new jersey and um and yeah and you're like you're not really like there's nothing that directly you're going to get career-wise out of that but it's yeah it's like how you make money right so what was it from then? Are you even getting on those? How they hear about you going to LA? You... Uh, just like I just did a bunch of shows in LA when I moved here, and oh, right um, away. um, you know, when you're kind of the new kid in town, it's like, oh, there's this funny person, like let's put him on our show, oh, let's put him and then you just kind of like success begets success. So you know, people what? would see me on a show and I do well, and then they'd want me on another show. Was that from networking when you got to LA? Because you didn't, did you know anyone in LA when you? We first got there. I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot. I think a lot of the people I had already made trips out to LA and like done shows, and oh, it's yeah. kind of it's like what I was saying with networking. Like, you know, I met a bunch of comics in New York, okay. um, and they, you know, a lot of them had already moved to LA and they helped me get on shows or like tell me what shows to like. Like, I did, like, when I was still in New York, I did Comedy Central's Live at Gotham, which was really helpful because like I had like a very solid, um, 
credit and a reel to yeah, you know I could be like that. I could hit up a show someone who books a show and be like hey I'm you know I remember I just moved here I was on Comedy Central here's a clip of it you know and then they see me being funny on TV and so it's just like you, you're kind of like rise above the other people who are just like I want to do your show but I have nothing really to show of myself <laughs> what do you have uh, like get, getting a TV credit is like your first step towards like like being able to show people easily that you're legit in something you know? okay so you need to get TV credit before you get anything else no I'm not saying that I'm saying <laughs> the very opposite I'm saying like you need to like that helps, get out there and grind and no, I, I remember from that the, I remember the first part credit. right do the work first and then obviously that gets to that what is that transition like so when you you had the, the Rob Deerdick thing with um, that show how did that turn into I'm going to go to business school and what was that thinking like you're like well, as that, I started I, to say earlier I Justin yeah we can't we have to cover, maybe like go back through we're going to just skip all this oh I'm going to skip the, the whole LA thing I'm going to skip being on all these things I might not ask about it I'll be at the interview I'll be like Rob why did we not talk about this like <laughs> you're kind of, like but where did that even come from then that's a little different um, switch. Well, okay. So I, I, so, okay. So first of all, I started making money for the first time at Ridiculousness, like okay. legit money, where yeah. I was like, okay, I need to invest this. So I got interested in the stock market. I bought a condo. So I got interested in real estate. I just kind of in, generally got interested in investing and started reading about it and just started reading books about business. And um, so like I had this interest in business and like basically how to, like I read, um, uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad, have yep. you ever read that? I have. Um, I mean, that made a big impact on me where I was like, okay, like basically the thesis statement of that book is you need to get to a point where you own assets that make you money, right? Mm-hmm. So like you're no longer just like in a cycle where you're making money to pay your bills and then working money to pay your bills. Right. You're making money to like create assets and those assets make you money. So now you don't have to, you know, actively work. Well, not like keep working but you're like just working to like build right. your you know legacy basically yeah. you're not <laughs> you're, in that perpetual loop of, yeah yeah instead and that's basically what rich people have right like their children don't have to work because they've already acquired assets and stuff. yeah so that would kind of became my goal and um so anyways i uh, my wife works at usc and so uh that was always kind of like she had the idea she's like well, why don't you get your mba from usc and um because i'd get half tuition from nice. you know being a spouse yeah and um so that kind of became my goal and then i was like okay well step one is like well like i was saying earlier like when you have a vision right you need to like so like basically yeah, i was like okay out. every day i'm gonna work towards this now and so i'm gonna work on studying for the gmat so that's what i did for like three months i spent several hours every day studying for the gmat i hadn't taken uh i hadn't done math in <laughs> 16 years so yeah <laughs> i hadn't done it like five or six and i still was like oh my god this gmat is ridiculous yeah but that must because i i didn't do any math in college yeah uh, like i took ap classes when i was a junior basically so and that totally prepared you for the gmat right and that totally proved well i mean basically i had to relearn i had to like i was i actually used to be a really great math student but i had to re teach myself yeah. like, how to do all these things um, and so that's what I did I watched a lot of YouTube videos of like people explaining things mm-hmm. and YouTube's great by the way. Oh, I love amazing. that you can just basically teach yourself anything with anything YouTube. just if you have um, time I need time yeah you can learn anything on YouTube it's kind of amazing so yeah and I've, it's great that there's so many people who like to just like 
teach people things stuff out there yeah. for free well yeah. yeah could build a business that way too which is always nice yeah did you but, you mentioned reading some books for that too were you did you read any books for comedy or was that all just like you just learned from watching actually, yeah 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 what i, I you? read a lot of books about how to write um okay when that was a big goal of mine same type of thing any specifics um, you remember uh save the cat is a big one for me that's okay. like teaches you the structure of a screenplay okay uh i've written a couple of screenplays um uh it's weird that once you watch, once you read Saves the Cat, or really I guess any book about like the specific structure of a screenplay, yeah, you can't help but see it every time you ever watch a movie. Well, I was gonna and say. it like kind of ruins <laughs> movies for you because you literally go, Oh, I know what's coming next because like that's just how movies work. That's like they have such a specific formula that um, I think you know, just generally you kinda of, like have an idea of that structure in your head, but you like don't until you like read it, you're like, Oh, that's how these things work. Um like a, like a great example uh, just to ruin movies for everyone is that like you you have to establish every important person in the first 10 minutes so like if they ever introduce someone after the first 10 minutes like as like uh, a potential suspect like he's not the you know <laughs> right. he didn't do it because like dude. right there's, no, there's um, no way after that point so um yeah you ruined everything but just stuff like that like where it's like oh I, now i totally get where this is coming from but um yeah, I read, and I read a bunch of some of the books I'm giving you today, like the the Warren Buffett way. I read, um, uh, but yeah, I just was uh, at first. I guess I was kind of interested in real estate because it just seemed like the most easily obtainable idea of how to gain, you know, assets that would make money, like basically buying things and running them out. Um, but unfortunately I live in Los Angeles where <laughs> like basically when you apply the metrics you would need to be a successful real estate investor, it's, they're just overpriced. <laughs> and, Cause like, like I learned that, um, you should never pay more than it's like the 1% rule or okay. it's sometimes it's a 2% rule where it's like, if you were to pay for something, you should at least make 2% of that money back in monthly rent right okay so if you were to take the monthly rent you'd make right like, like let's say you'd make two thousand a month renting something. renting yeah that means the most you could pay for it would be a hundred thousand dollars yeah based on the, the numbers you know what I'm yeah so if you apply that to like literally anything in los angeles it doesn't work <laughs> like how <laughs> so does like, anyone do this yeah i don't understand so. these metrics but um so you looked at real estate but what else I mean, that was like one of the main things for just kind of... That was like, just my it. first thing, because like, I bought a condo and it got me interested in real estate. But um, yeah, and then I uh, then I started getting interested in the stock market, which is where I'm still at. I'm still very active in the stock market. Um, when you say very active, do you mean like checking every day, but not then trading every week or two? Like how, what's active for you? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I check it every day and, and I guess kind of what you just said. Okay. Make... I don't know, like a few trades every week, I guess. Okay. Um, I mean, sometimes there's just periods where it's just not beneficial to make a trade, so you just kind of sit on it. But how did you choose which platform to even use? I, I mentioned to you before we talked. I used, I think I used Scott Trade when I was in um, college doing some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my mom set me up with a Charles Schwab account. I think nice. she had one, I guess, and so that's that's my main thing. But then I also found out about actually. So so much of my life is thinking because I want to be an entrepreneur too at some point, and so yeah. much of my life is thinking of a business idea and then realizing it's already been done. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, what if there was a free stock trading app, you know, where you just made money off of like margin calls. And so I looked it up and it, it, it exists and it's called Robinhood. And it's yeah, great... I've heard of Robinhood. Yep. <laughs> so I use that app a little bit too. It, yeah. But, um, uh, I mean, if you're just getting into stock investing, I, I recommend Robinhood because the whole point of it is that they don't take, 
they don't make any um, commission fees. Okay. So, um, well, what's so their business model then? They make money off of margins. All up. like so. Like if you were to, you know, also they, I think they have like premium subscription models where you mm-hmm. can like, I'm not sure what you can do with it, but, um, so I mean a lot of the way that these people make money is, so if you you know if you're like oh this stock's gonna go up but I only have a thousand dollars in the in my account but you know but if I put you know whatever like ten thousand okay. dollars in like and then sell it next week right. you know I'll make this big profit but so what they do is they are taking you know every it's it's like a loan they're like giving you like a miniature loan where they're yeah, charging exactly. you three percent every day on whatever you just borrow so, okay so that's, that's how they, those those kind of companies make money yeah. dang it I took Rob's idea <laughs> damn it damn it <laughs> Robin Hood it was your perfect name for you too um, so I mean, from that so you you had some of that and then so deciding to go to business school obviously you're starting up here soon what are you hoping to do you mentioned entrepreneurship a little bit but yeah, I, I thought I'd love to start my own company, but um, I guess in the short term, I want to work in entertainment or um, possibly, I guess like a subset of entertainment would be video games. Okay. Um, I I think what interests me the most about video, I mean, I've played video games my whole life, but yeah. just the fact that it's such a new, growing field, you know, there's so much happening it's right exciting. now, like that's kind of exciting for me. Um, but you know, because I've been working in traditional entertainment for a dozen years, I feel like I'm, I probably have a leg up on a lot of people who'd be applying for, you know, an internship at a studio or something like that. Yeah, so. you have a little bit more cred maybe. <laughs> <laughs> than someone who's like, for instance, a career switcher who has no experience but is just interested in it, which, which people definitely do by all means with the MBA. Is this, is this who you, are not, you talking about yourself? Not me. I don't want to get into that necessarily. I mean, it would be interesting. What do you, what do you want to do? Um. Entrepreneurship, same type of thing. Um, the podcast would be great, but I love helping people and sharing ideas and sharing. So like, there's obviously people who make it full time with um, with an M, with having a podcast, and there's more, not just the podcast. Obviously, there's sponsorships for a podcast. So I'm telling everyone my whole business plan now. But there's sponsorships for a podcast, which um, you should do once you get to a certain like critical mass of people. Then it's more worth it. Um, I always go back to like the you seen the social network right the mm-hmm. movie we're talking about like advertising for like Snooky's cookies or some little little advertising things like versus like having big companies it's a little bit different I'm kind of thinking in that way in terms of I don't want like little small advertising I wait until actually it's worthwhile but then also from that making courses and stuff on either finding your dream job or also on starting businesses because I have to some experience through um, just go fitness which is a website I started. And then we just go grind. So the online business type of thing, I have some experience with. So I would love to do that type of thing. Um, but otherwise, I'm just just curious and looking look find that next path, man. Like I'm just in venture capital, honestly, too. Uh, just because you have like a, a hand in everything. You can end up as like some consultant who makes um, <laughs> maybe some huge salary. Like, right. I'll, like I'll talk to you in a year, and you'd be like, oh yeah, I gave up the podcast. Uh, yeah, the podcast uh, is I'm done. A super wealthy consultant. <laughs> Um, I can't say that's not a possibility, <laughs> but no, but that's, uh, I, w- I want the podcast regardless. And it's not that much time per week, realistically. I mean, like right now it's like five, I can talk to me like five to eight hours, roughly depends on, uh, on this podcast the episode per, per episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. That's how much like time. time. Put in There's re- research time, back and uh, forth, scheduling okay. time, yeah, yeah. podcast, editing, promotion, right. all that adds up. People don't realize how much is behind the right? back end with, with any kind of creating content there's mm-hmm. like they just see the tip of the iceberg and they're oh you know you and it's like it's very so true. much work that goes into 
everything. Right? There's a lot. Like, there's like, oh god. It's How like, much time would you say it goes in like for you then for like a uh, a few minutes skit or like a hour show you put on? I mean, okay, so if I make like a an like a ninety second sketch on YouTube or something, yeah. like I mean, realistically, it probably took me like two hours to write it. It probably took me like an hour to like coordinate who the actors that would be in it, and then it took me like an hour to shoot it and then like another hour to edit it you know so like we're talking like for 90 seconds six hours for like 90 seconds yeah it's like it's crazy. Yeah, i don't think anyone unless you're unless you do it you don't understand yeah the amount of work even like some of the articles i've written and other stuff like um some articles i've written have been pretty in depth like three thousand words four thousand words which is a fair amount and those have taken like 20 hours to put together yeah. with research and everything else and it's like boom they read through it quick and like, I'm, I'm hoping it hits you know with a lot of people but like, you never really know for sure but you're just putting out work and then it's the process that that helps um i mean people complain about like how much it costs to go to the movies right but like it's like okay but for for like 15 dollars <laughs> like you're seeing a representation of like a hundred people working for like a thousand hours each you know what i mean like it's it's kind of like crazy. so much work went into like making this thing that you right. get to watch for 15 dollars you know right I mean? so like in one sense it's like it's unbelievable you know? it is and also people it's funny how people completely tear apart movies and mm. they're like <laughs> okay yeah. it may have been not the greatest but at the same time it was like your expectations are just so high now right everything yeah. you're like that movie sucked it was horrible and you're like <laughs> you said their whole life basically creating this and you just like tore apart their dreams like yeah. it happens but i mean <laughs> so, so be it i guess yeah. um with the interest in entrepreneurship that you mentioned are you like what type of company or do you have any idea at all like what you want to do or you just like the idea of like having your own thing or what's the appeal for you? Yeah, I just, um, I want to be the boss. <laughs> ah, yes, control. <laughs> I just like creating things too. And I like, I like, yeah, I like having control. I like being in charge. I like, um, I like the idea of kind of what, going back to that view tonight, the conversation of mm-hmm. like, you know, just instead of like waiting on opportunities, like just creating an opportunity. Um, and, um, but I don't know. I mean, I have ideas all the time, but like I said, they've all, like all the time, I like, I'll have an idea and I'm like, oh, someone beat me to this like a year ago. <laughs> but I, I know at some point I'm going to either think of something or I think like ideally, honestly, like meet someone yeah. at Marshall that has a great idea and then be like, you know, the other guy, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, how, like almost every great it, entrepreneur like, has the other person, like who, yeah. who has the other's part of the puzzle mm-hmm. you know but they need it to actually make like it the happen the person who's articulate and charismatic and who can help sell the idea like right. I feel like that would be a good role we're in a similar boat in that regard like and I also feel like at business school you're gonna find you're in, you're in an environment where people have that type of thinking I already found it like even with my roommates talk about different stuff it's like god we're here this is the where people do that stuff like other places they just don't think the same maybe or they're not interested in that but here there are definitely people who want to create businesses or be involved in something and especially if it's a startup or whatever maybe if they have the skills and people come from all over all different roles here i mean there's already people who were consultants or were in business like strategy operations people like entertainment like there's all over all over the place so you never know who you're going to find so if anyone's trying to go to business school that's just one of the perks uh, <laughs> you instantly put yourself in an environment where you have hundreds and then realistically at the school thousands of people potentially who are interested in that type of thing and if you're in, also in los angeles there's just a lot of people here that you have opportunities that you maybe wouldn't have um you know, i come from an exercise sports science background and that's just a different crowd of people that are different <laughs> interested in fitness which is great but a lot of them aren't doing business 
stuff, which is just totally different. So I've diversified diversify my network, <laughs> right, to, to different things. Um, I can't leave have you leave without talking about your podcast as well, or other ventures that you're doing. So the Cleveland I've Browns. Started, I've started two podcasts. Two po- Let's talk about the other one first. I don't know anything about it. What's the other podcast that you have? Um, I mean, both were just kind of just show what my interests were on a resume, honestly. But um, <laughs> I started, that's perfect. That's a great but, idea. But uh, uh, I started I Love Video Games. Okay. Or I Heart Video Games. I don't even know the name of it. God. Uh, I Heart Video Games. So it's your podcast, Rob. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh, and then I started uh, Cleveland Browns News. I'm probably more into Cleveland Browns News just because I'm such a insane Cleveland Browns fan. Really? It's a, it's a very, like, this is a time of year there's just not a lot happening, so I'm kind of laying low, but I intend to start putting out a lot once the season's, you know, like the okay. preseason. Are you going for, like, a podcast every week or something? Or what's your goal? Uh, I mean, I, feel I, like... I put out a bunch leading up to the draft because there was a lot to talk about there, but, um, yeah. yeah, like I said, I haven't really, I think I've only done one since the draft, um, but... Once like August comes, I'm probably gonna put out like several every week. Okay. Know, maybe at least two a week. Though. Have you always been a Cleveland Browns fan? You're from Cleveland. So like, how lived in Toledo until I was Toledo, Ohio, which okay. um is like closer to Detroit. So I was like a Detroit fan until I was seven, and then um and then I moved to Cleveland when I was seven. So yeah, since since then I've been. You've been a Cleveland Browns fan, and then Cleveland all all Cleveland sports. So what prompts you then to make a podcast? about it you're just like uh resume uh, and then you're... like potentially working in sports you okay know, i have nothing on my resume yet that that has to do with sports and i just want to demonstrate to potential people uh, employers that i uh understand and am interested in sports so honestly like i would love to fuse my love of video games and sports and work for i mean like working for ea like mm-hmm. on madden or working Ooh. for like take two on uh, you know nba 2k or something like that, that would be crazy. that would be amazing but um so that's my kind of like I guess my number one goal. Or or I talked to a guy who um at Marshall who worked at the NFL, uh like he worked in NFL digital media. Okay. I was I like that'd be an awesome that job. Would also be interesting. That was in Los Angeles, right? Or yeah. here, yeah. Yeah, it's in uh, Culver City, I think. Culver City, okay. Yeah. So that podcast though, um I had a preview, I think one of them it was like a five minute episode maybe. I don't know which one you're talking about. But um the draft Let's talk about the draft real quick, just because I I used to always watch the draft. So as a little kid, I used to watch the draft. I remember here's what I remember specifically. I remember it was maybe maybe like nine or ten years old, and we went like to like our cabin in quotes I say up north, uh, Wisconsin, and like my cousins and aunts and uncles, everyone was like oh, there. Like we were all like a family get together, and I remember everyone like went outside to like like ride snowmobiles or something, whatever. I watched the draft in the basement that whole weekend. They, I don't know why my mom, my parents like let me do that, but like I I did that because I was so obsessed at that time, especially when you're younger. Like I was like, oh my god, like this one day you never know. Like you know, you want to get to the NFL if you play football. Um, <laughs> but the Cleveland's always had high draft picks. So what do you think of the last draft for the, Cleveland? The most recent. Most recent for Cleveland. I liked it overall. I'm I'm confident in John Dorsey, our general. He's our new general manager, and um, I think he'll do a, a good job. I mean, I was I was disappointed in our um, second pick, which uh, was a uh, Ward and, uh, over. Um, uh, there was a defensive end mm-hmm. uh, Chubb that I wanted. Yep. But, um, Bradley Chubb. I yeah, yeah. Bradley Chubb. Yeah. But uh, other than that, Baker Mayfield, right? That's the. I just I feel like I have a very specific you know with basketball and in football 
I have in my head a very specific idea of like how you should build a team. Mm-hmm. Um, like okay, with basketball, it's like I would only ever draft wings. Like okay. I'd be like, I want my team to be like a point guard and four <laughs> like lanky like three point shooting defensive wings that mm-hmm. can just switch on anything. Sure. Like I feel like that's like obviously that's in your head, that's team, a, right? So like, okay. why would you ever take like a center in the like, <laughs> like taking DeAndre Aiden like at the top of his draft is like bonkers to me because like he'll probably have bad knees in three years and be out yeah. of the league. Like whereas or one um, Greg Oden uh, right away. <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, I mean it's just so consistent if you like I. That's what I mean. I'd love to imply kind of NBA thinking to the draft. Yeah, you know, I guess yeah, people yeah. are already doing that, but like, it's just I just don't understand why. I feel like there's still so many old school GMs that are just like just go on these like old school old school notions of like like oh like you know we need a center we need a solid center like, but if you ever look at like the history of the draft like, <laughs> like taking the center over the wing like never you know Greg Oden over Kevin Durant like you're saying like yeah that was a horrible decision <laughs> like, in hindsight it's quite funny but yes uh, but it's it's but always it like that like this, a center was taken over Michael Jordan right like it sure. just happens all the time and I don't know I would basically apply you know, data and historical, um, ideas to who I would draft. Um, and I just, that's why I don't like a cornerback at number four either is because I just think that, you know, pass rushing is so much more important than yeah. uh, having a good cornerback. But, True. I mean, that has, it's really tough. I don't know how I'd feel about that because in a pass happy league, you think, Oh yeah, cornerback's great. But then if you have pressure on the quarterback, then they don't have time to throw anyways. So your corners not to be as good in theory. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like and you can always kind of find. I mean, we've had we've had some really good cornerbacks lately that were like undrafted and stuff. Like yeah, but you also had some good, good ones that were drafted high. Joe Hayden. Yeah. Yeah, but so it, I mean, but if you had, um, we're I, I, know, I think, I think if struggle. you were to look at most of them, like really successful cornerbacks over the last five years, like I can only think of like a couple that were drafted high. Like a lot of them were later picks. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. But all sports, Cleveland. So even Cavaliers. Um. Yeah. I'm a chaos fan. Yeah. We're uh, we're gonna have to rebuild now. <laughs> I want them to just blow it up, probably. You think I so? still. I, I honestly, and uh, this is gonna probably sound crazy. I everyone's like basically saying we're like the worst team in the league. <laughs> and honest to God, I still think we're like an eighth seed if we did no changes. Yeah. You like, think so? I think yeah. It's, I think it's still like. I wouldn't say we're yet. I think the coaching would is a. I don't like Tyron Blue. I don't. I just don't think he's a good coach. I think if you took like took our team and like Bradley Stevens, you know, or Greg mm-hmm. Popovich, sure. I mean, this is like a they could figure a it out, team. right? Like, yeah, they if you set screens for Kyle Korver, if you, you know, if you have more of like a because LeBron is such a big personality and such a big like when he's on your team, you kind of just defer to him, right? You're just like, oh, we need to get the ball to LeBron, let him isolate her. But once it's kind of gonna if if our team could figure out how to just like constantly move constantly pass mm-hmm. set picks work as a team i think it could actually be really good which team. they're gonna find out because without lebron it's like yeah that's a and i think we're gonna story. find out if tyron really is a good coach everyone seems that's to think true. he is i i honestly don't think he is but we'll see take away the best player in the world and you'll find out if he's good or not yeah <laughs> <laughs> that might that might be is it a coincidence that you leave to you know you, you're here now in la you're starting at, at usc and then like lebron's like LeBron and I are the exact same age, by the way. Oh, really? I went to high school. Yeah, we're we're two weeks apart our age. 
Um, so we both, you know, we both left Cleveland at the same time. And when he went back, I was very tempted to go back. I was like, ah, oh, it's gonna be so exciting. <laughs> you're like ready. You're like, oh, Cleveland's gonna be dope. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm the LeBron James of um, business, so. I... Yeah, so it makes perfect sense, Rob. Is what is what you're saying. Another potential job idea. Uh, yes, is I want to hear it. Working for LeBron's company, because he's coming to LA. You know, now, I did think about that too. Undisputed. Maverick Carter is uh, his like business main business guy, Rich Paul as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be interesting. The thing, two things. It's funny you say that because I was literally just looking today at like um, Kobe Inc. <laughs> just because mm-hmm. he has his own company. It's just yeah. like because I heard a podcast from Kobe. He's on Cal Fussman's podcast, and it's from a few months ago, I think, or like last year, or late last year. And I was just like, wait, Kobe has his company. I'm like, that'd be interesting just to work with Kobe Inc. Like it's in. Um, I think it's in Newport or something, but it's yeah. just one of those things where like, oh yeah, now LeBron's here. I don't think I could do it, but um, I don't know what the role would be. I don't know. If, yeah, I, don't know. I just but, can't see Kobe <laughs> <laughs> I think he's like the most overrated player. Of all. Interesting. I can't see. As in LeBron, yeah, I'm not waiting any fans in LA, but yeah. Rob did not say that. Everybody, you, you know, just cut it out. Yeah, we'll, we'll, <laughs> post production. We can, we can do anything you want. Really, <laughs> that's the joy of this. That's see, Rob. To the point, I want to be an entrepreneur. Like, it's, it's my show. I can do whatever I want with the show. Like, I want to talk about careers, but, like, realistically, I just want to talk to people who are interesting and have conversations. And I oh, haven't been have recording them. Do you want me to find someone? That's like why we're not using this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just like to be a little interesting. So, yeah, could you leave? Cause, uh... Yeah, we, we don't have anyone else here. You were the only person. So we had to choose someone is basically what I'm getting at. But um, I guess we can wrap my, this my up. My favorite um, bit of mine from stand-up was about the NBA. Was it? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know it. Three players? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a true story. It's a true story? Yeah, it really happened. I was was, uh, talking to my friend whose name's Leroy. I was talking to my friend and his girlfriend. And and his girlfriend didn't know anything about the NBA. And I was like, can you even name three NBA players? And she's like, um, Kobe Bryant. I'm like, okay. She's like, yep, naturally. LeBron James. I'm like, okay, good. And she's like, Brian Scalabro. <laughs> and I was like, what? I was like, you're third of three? That's a struggle to get through. Is a bench warmer named Brian Scalabro? I'm like, I said to my friend, I'm like, I don't know how you tell this, but your girlfriend has definitely had sex with Brian Scalabro. That uh, is... And in the, in the moment, like, no one laughed at it, and I was like, oh, that's so funny, though. And I, um, so I, uh, you know, I wrote it down, and then I told it on stage, probably like that night, I don't know, but this is when I lived in New York. Mm-hmm. And no one laughed in the audience either. And I was like, oh my god, I think this is such a funny concept right. that like she only knows Brian Scalabrine because she had sex with him, obviously. Right. Like, why would she know that name? How else would she know? And um, I gave up on it. This is kind of like going back to the giving. Like, so I gave up on it. And like six, seven years later, I like remembered it again and started laughing to myself. And I'm like, that's so funny. Like, why? I was in the shower. I remember I was in the shower thinking about it. I'm like, that's so funny. Like, I don't know why that joke didn't work. And I tried it again like that weekend, and it killed. And I was like, "Oh, weird." And I started doing it, and it like became one of my best jokes. But like the first time I ever told it, it didn't get any laughs. Right, this joke is back. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. Yeah. I when I so I was doing research for this for this episode, I, that was one of the first clips I found. I don't know which. Yeah, probably like the second or third clip I found. I was literally laughing out loud. Like I had like my roommate. I don't know if they were in the rooms or something. I was like, was like I'm the crazy guy just laughing to himself out here. I'm like. That's my favorite, maybe. I have a friend who works at ESPN, and he said, uh, he's like, oh, I've told everyone at ESPN that joke. <laughs> and I'm like, did you give me credit? And he's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think you can credit. Um, no, and, I uh, 
and I was like, and he even works with Brian Scalabrini. So I know Brian Scalabrini has heard that joke. He's heard so it. It's pretty exciting, yeah. Wow. That, the white mom. It's a great... <laughs> <laughs> the great one. <laughs> the great one. My I mean, idol. Now people will know his name, for sure. I always loved Brian Scalabrini, honestly. Why? Uh, why do you think? Because he's a goofy well, white not? dude like I... me. Because <laughs> I relate to goofy white dudes. <laughs> my God. My God. <laughs> Who, like, looks super Irish. So who do I relate to? I don't even think he's Irish. He's probably Italian, but... He, yeah, he's got red hair, so he want. looks super Irish. Uh, and you know, I yeah, I vote. I honestly, I relate the most to the guys who, because this is my game, is that I'm like, I'm not that talented, but I'm super scrappy. <laughs> so I've always <laughs> like Matthew Delvadova uh-huh. and like uh, I don't know, whoever Eric Kraft, whoever hustles well. <laughs> yeah, Eric, you're talking about the uh, what's Ohio, Ohio State? State yeah. Ohio State. Yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah. So on that note, um. Other skit I a bit I watched was the heckler, uh, in the mm-hmm. front row. Yeah, yeah, where he took his phone. Yeah, what was yeah. that like? He was just that clip's got four and a half million. It's your top views. YouTube clip, I believe. Yeah, did it's my, definitely yeah. Did my homework, yeah. Yeah, that was a, a funny moment. I took this guy's phone and uh, started to talk to him and pretended that I was, uh, or it was like his girlfriend on the phone, uh-huh. and I and I pretended that I was like his gay lover and that uh, I had given him an STD or something, and I had the whole thing on speakerphone, and the whole audience was laughing at the whole time. Uh, but there were like these really funny moments where I was like, he's like, um, I was like talking to her, and I'm like, do you know that your friend answered his phone in the front row of a comedy show? And she's like, really? And I'm like, what a dick, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I would do that. I can't believe someone would, I guess... Yeah, front row. Has it happened before? Has it ever happened before? Or someone like answers their phone like, right yeah, close to you? Yeah, a bunch of times actually. Oh, I just really? honestly like I feel like there's been so many things over my long career where if there had been a, like someone recording it, it yeah. would have been like a huge YouTube hit. But I just very rarely recorded my shows. Yeah. But that one I happened to be recording, and so you know it became a big clip. Was it on like on you to record stuff, or like do they always? different show like how did you even decide do you have oh i have a camera i'm just gonna talk i think at that point i was i was like still in college and i was still um trying to figure out like i was still trying to make a good like you know 10 minute reel or whatever to submit for agents like you know i said i got a good take for my college agent like yeah yeah i was just trying to get a good take together at some point and it's like the thing about being a comic every comic will agree with this is like when you try to record yourself it's like you always have a bad set because you're so <laughs> you like know. in your head like oh I need to like do my best jokes or so you're not like loose you like end up being too rehearsed you're not like you're not like having fun you're not in the moment enough you know and like audiences like can pick up on that when you're having fun the audience has a lot more fun so um, it's almost like best to just record like every show you do and then so then you just like don't you care about it and like yeah. if you don't put pressure on it then you'll do better but. I mean, it's so much easier these days to, you know, record your set because, like, phones have video, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, back, this is back when you had to, like, like literally, like, set up a digital camera. Oh, um, or, you know, like, with a mini DV tape in it. Right. You know? I remember those. Um, so. Not not the easiest situation no. to have your own stuff every time. Like, oh, I need more tapes. I can't afford this. Like, <laughs> damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you do any more comedy or stand-ups? Have you done? When's the last time you've done one? I've done stand for a while. I haven't done stand since April. So it's been a few months. Okay, but you still, I mean, it's this um, year though, you still have done it. I do want to try to put together like a Follies um, at USC. Like a lot of schools have something called Follies, which is like, like a comedy night for the, you know, for, for okay. Marshall. Sure. You know, where you charge money and then raise money for charity or something. Yeah. And then people put on little comedy skits or whatever. So I think it'd be fun to like put that together and host the show and okay. 
get people to like make stuff you should make something for it Ooh, <laughs> i would try <laughs> have you ever done like a roast then of someone i have yeah yeah i like doing roasts what is that like that <laughs> um, yeah, it was fun to, it's, I like writing roast jokes. I like, you know, like going there and trying to write funny insult jokes. Uh-huh. I like the process. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, a lot of people are weirdly sensitive, <laughs> even in stand-up comedy. Like, even I, stand-up the comedy. last one I did, I stopped doing it after this, but I did a show where this guy, like, very clearly was, like, very, like, upset with me. <laughs> like, oh. he was, like, like, very offended, and it's, like, we're doing a road. Like, Wait, this he looked like he wanted to hit me. I was like, um, this is the point of the show. He agreed to it, right? I mean, yeah, it's like, it's, it was weird. He did a roast behind his back. Well, then, yeah, that was different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically, what you're going to do is when we like, are getting to graduation and you know more people, you're going to roast someone in the class. Well. No, I'm, I'm, I've retired from roasting. <laughs> um, That's too, too dangerous in this, this climate. <laughs> um, we can roast you, though, if you want. Oh, I'm down. <laughs> I'm not sensitive, so it's perfect. So it's perfect. <laughs> I think, like, a lot of stuff, I was just like, all right, great. Like, we're having fun. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, I don't know why. I don't know. There's certain things that I get why people would be upset about, but other stuff is like, can you let everything bother you? Like, there's just got to be a line there. Typically, how I wrap things up is allow you to let people know who are either trying to be comedians or anything about going to grad school or, you know, all those things that you're kind of done, like, well, is there anything else you'd like to say to them? All right. If you want to do stand-up comedy, here's, here's a few little tips. One is when you make a reel, when you make your first tape that you're going to send to people to try to get booked on shows, mm-hmm. start it with their first joke. It's like my biggest pet because I used to run a show, mm-hmm. and people would always send tapes, and they'd be like, you know, a minute of someone being like, and now, welcome to the stage. It's like, just start it with your first joke. Uh, that's one tip. Another tip is um, don't do bringers because they're a racket. Uh, bringer shows are like you have to bring your ten friends and they need to all buy drinks for you to perform. Like that's just don't do it. Don't do that. Yeah, you're just wasting your time. Nothing will come from it. Um, <laughs> another tip is um, um, try to like try not to sound rehearsed. You need to find your own voice. The be- the best thing you do, I think, is to think of when you're telling. You're, a lot of people they go up about messages and they go, "Why did the chicken cross And they sound so rehearsed, they just sound like they're like performing stand-up comedy. But the best, honestly, the the biggest breakthrough I had as a stand-up comedy is when I figured out how to just be conversational on stage, and just tell a joke the way I would tell a joke to someone at a party, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I was at a party, I wouldn't like have some weird stilted way of talking, right? I would just right. say it kind of talking to them, yeah. So yeah, just like. So just being yourself, what's going to be most interesting to people is you truly being yourself and you know talking about your real life and what makes you interesting and doing it in a conversational way. And like, even if you don't get a lot of laughs, like you'll still, people will still walk away from that being like, like, oh, I want to see more of that person. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that, I mean, I think it, from hearing this conversation, it seems like you just haven't been afraid to put yourself out there and that's led to you succeeding in yeah, comedy. I have like no fear of embarrassment. Yeah. When I was um, young, I watched this Frasier episode where his, his dad is talking about hitting on women and he's, and he, I think like Frasier's like too afraid to hit on women or something and he's like, you know, when you look back on your life, you won't be afraid of the times you tried and failed. You'll be, um, or you're, you won't be, uh, you won't be upset about the times you tried and failed. You'll be upset about the times you never tried at all. And I was like, wow, like that's such an that's interesting such a thought. Yeah, and I was like, I just kind of like made that my my mo is like, 
I don't care about failure. I'm just going to like go for it. Like, um, um, you know, when I was single, I was like, I could get rejected by 10 women at this bar. Like, I don't care. Like yeah. one of them might be interested in me. But and you then, do. That, you know, it's like, and, and my whole mindset was always like, there's like, most of the people are strangers. So like, I'll never see them again anyway. So what does it yeah. matter? Like if I bomb tonight, what does it matter? I'll never see these people again. Right. So. Even if you um, did. Yeah. Oh, another, you know, I heard this really interesting piece of advice too recently. I can't remember where I heard it, but, um, it was that, um, oh, it was like a TED talk or something. It was something about, um, great leaders aren't people who get you to put your faith into them. They're like people who get, oh, I'm not wording it well. It was like, if you look it up, look yeah, it up. Look we'll look it up. Get on the podcast. <laughs> It was um, perfectly okay with that. It was leaders don't get people to believe in them. They get people to believe in themselves. So in other words, you know, if you're a leader, you want your team to be confident in themselves, right? You like, you need to inspire them. You don't, you don't need to like be like, I'm, I'm going to solve it. I'm going to help it. Yeah. Yeah. Like you need to like basically get your teammates to, to perform well. And I think that relates a lot too to something I picked up from um, how to win friends and, and how to influence, influence people, people and win friends, um, which is like a big part of that was never criticize people, like find a different way, you know, like you can encourage people when they do something you like, but about how great job, you know, but like instead yeah. of like, you know, when you criticize people, no one likes that basically, like no one wants to <laughs> No criticize. one responds well to that. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it seems like such a simple thing, but it's so true, like, you know, I've really um, started to live that way and like, you know, if I'm on a basketball court, like, there's so many people that, you know, you make a bad shot, and they're like, oh, like, you know, it's like, and it's like, but you're my teammate, you know, it's like, do you want me to feel better now? Like, right, I'm going to shoot better I, now. When yeah. people make a mistake, they know they made a mistake. You don't need to rub it in, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, you just need, you need to, like, stay positive and be like, oh, that's okay, like, you're good next time, you know, and then they'll play better because they're, they're remaining confident. You can't yeah. just shatter your teammates' confidence in things. Um, it's just so many people, especially young people, like, don't understand that, and they're always, like, criticizing their own teammates and um i think of everything as basically being a basketball game <laughs> so like everything the, the basketball is... court is uh, is like analogous to life in many ways but so no one can get at your center in life you just focus on your wings okay um i play play a lot of rocket league it's a video game not to brag. i'm really good at it. um but yeah it's like same thing where people all the time would be like oh what a save if you like miss a save right and it's like dude why are you doing that to your own teammate like <laughs> Like you're gonna shatter his confidence. Like you're not gonna win the game if you if your if your teammate doesn't have any confidence. So, um, I've been, I always like I'm like I'm usually the best person on my team. I'll be like I'll be like it's okay. Like it's fine. Like again next time. You know? Right. And then my team plays better. And like so many times we'll come back. And I've said so many times we're like we're down four goals and we come back and win the game because we just like are playing well as a team because we're all in it you know together as opposed to like a team that's fighting amongst themselves. Yeah. So that's helpful. Yeah. Well, Rob, where can people reach out to you if you're okay with that, uh, or find you on the internet? Where should they go? Um, you can go to at Rob O'Reilly on Twitter. At uh, let's see, I have a website. Just Google Rob O'Reilly, basically. Google <laughs> Rob O'Reilly. You'll, you'll see stuff. You'll, you'll you find can, stuff on there. There's videos you can watch. I can verify and, that. Uh, I actually used to have a business card that just said Google that shit. It's my name. It's like Google that shit. <laughs> kind of like I'm CEO, bitch. Same type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> just, just good. By that you mean I'm arrogant. It's <laughs> uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Arrogant is social network people. That Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate the time. Hey.
Thanks Hopefully, for me. you know, a couple people get some uh, some value out of this. I, I think they the, will. I hope the four people who have made it through this, this hour is, and a half. This is right. Yeah. <laughs> are really enjoying. <laughs> They're either the, the four people fans who too. Um, forgot to turn this off while they, they were on elliptical. Uh, right. Good for you guys. We're still working out or doing the dishes for an extremely long time. Um, I've done the dishes while listening to podcasts. Uh, okay. Here, here's my bet. I'm gonna bet there's literally zero people still listening at this point. There I'm so chance. confident in that, uh-huh. Justin. Yes. If you email me, listener who's still listening, I don't believe you t- you you are. <laughs> this is okay. my point. I like this. I like, I like this. <laughs> if you email me, roboreilly2 at gmail.com, I will PayPal you a dollar. <laughs> All right. There you go. Well, I was going to say $10. Now. What if I like, a lot of people? <laughs> roboreilly2 at gmail.com. Everyone knows it. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, buddy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. As always, the show notes are over at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show over at patreon.com slash justgogrind. And please, please leave a rating and review over on iTunes. It does help more people find the show. Hope you enjoy this episode. Have a great day.